Hello and welcome back to Meet Me in the Middle. This is Neely. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, if you made it this far, I really appreciate uh, you sticking with me. We've now completed the history part of this podcast to really lay the foundations of where we came from. With the main objective of one telling the story from all perspectives of those who actually contributed to who we are. And two, it's important that we all feel like we can claim our founding story as American citizens. And I feel by telling that from all three perspectives, it brings us together. The whole point of Meet Me in the Middle is really to get together look at who we are, how we participate, who we vote for, how we vote, and the importance of the issues that matter to us. Too much of our political choices have been wrapped up around people and candidates instead of policies that drive us forward. And I think what I'm trying to do is disconnect us from that loyalty to anyone that's running for office. It's great to have people that you support and that you feel are really driving good policies, but the loyalty really needs to be to the policy in the country, not the other way around. And I think the hard issues that we face today and what we want to talk about at this podcast is really get to those hard issues but I'm really in the process of laying those foundations. And so, one, I just want to thank you for really sticking with it. I know that some of those uh, podcasts, the last three in the Founding Story series, were really long and a lot of detail. Um, I have to say that the website has now been built, so there's a way that you can go back and look at the facts and look at treaties and look at our structure of our states and things like that. It's all built and you can find the website at findunityinthemiddle.com. It's once again, findunityinthemiddle.com. There you can make comments, you can um, reach out to me, uh, any ideas of future podcasts. You can tell me how you, what you like about this podcast, what you'd like to see in the future. So I would really love for you to go there. Uh, we've, the website is up and ready. And how I'm going to approach this now going forward is to really put all of the research links of the podcast that I'm creating up in advance so I can reference you to it while you're listening to the latest episode. So this is episode six, and this episode is the founding documents in our government structure. That part, that section of the website is now up under the resources section. You can also listen to the podcast from the website or continue to listen to it on your uh, wherever you get your podcasts. So please visit the site, um, rate it, uh, comment. I would really like to hear from you.
So now we're going to approach it a little differently because I don't want to just read history and read facts. It was hard without a website to guide all of you to in the Founding Story series. And that's why I felt like I was just reading what I wrote. So when I wrote those sections, I had to rewrite them and shrink them down, trying to keep it to 30 minutes. And now what we can do is move forward with, hey, go to the website, look at all the documents that I'm going to talk about. And that way I don't have to sort of regurgitate information. I can just talk about the information to bring some sense, to bring it all together. And hopefully that's going to be a helpful resource for you. So this part of uh, the series is really the founding documents and our government structure. So now that we kind of got to the point where we're founded uh, as a nation, we've gotten to the 13 colonies being 13 states, the United States, and then all of the states that joined on the website under the resources under the government structure, you're going to be able to find all of your links to your different state, as well as all of our founding documents in the documents section, all of them, as well as going back through the founding story series, you'll be able to go back and check, look at all of the links that basically back up all of the facts that I spoke about in that series. So looking at our structure and our founding. So the founding document series just shows you all of the meetings, all of the acts, all of the declarations, the constitution, the bill of rights, all of that. And I wanted to start there with the constitution. So once the constitution or during the process of the constitution being ratified, so there was a point where it was written and then it was ratified. So during that stage, which was Article 7 of the Constitution, was the ratification of the document, there was a lot of discussion. And how it came to be where all the states finally ratified the Constitution was the real discussions between what they called back then Federalists and anti-federalists. And again, the links to what that means and who they were are on the website. The interesting thing is when you really go through and read what a federalist and an anti-federalist is, really I want you to think about what side would you be on back in those days? What side would you have chosen? Because it's very similar now to the division that we have in this country this division happened at the signing, uh, right before the signing of the Constitution. So it's important to know that the balance of these two sides, it's always been there from the beginning. And it's important to understand that. The anti-federalist arguments are what led to the, the, the um, drafting of the Bill of Rights, which ended up being the first 10 amendments to our Constitution. What this was all about is really to ensure that personal liberty of individuals were never forgotten. There was a worry that it could be that the individual people of this country 
could somehow fall under rules and laws that weren't in the individual's interest, but on a government's interest. And so hence the drafting of the Bill of Rights. So the Bill of Rights are the first 10 amendments to our Constitution. And then, of course, you have all of the amendments that continued out through time. However, the last amendment to our Constitution was in 1992. So it has been quite a while since there were any amendments to the Constitution, and I'm not claiming that there should be. I'm just saying it's been a while since any amendment has been ratified. When you go to your state sites, which is on the website, you can click on your link or, you know, you can just look up your state site and find it that way. It's important to understand the constitutions are replicated in the states. So there, each state has its own constitution. And early on in the colonies time, there were sort of documents that acted like a constitution or a overarching set of laws prior to the states, the colonies becoming states. So there were some elements to that were taken in from some of the colonies own constitutions. And again, it's very interesting when you look at back in history at the state's constitution, if you go to your state's site and you search on that site for the constitution, you'll find it. You'll find voting rights, you'll find all the things that you're looking for are a resource within the state. And it is really important to know your state and how it runs as the state level of governance impacts your lives more directly on a day-to-day basis than the federal government. However, with the media, which we've talked about in previous episodes, would have you believe that the federal government is the most important. It's actually not the case. And if you think of who we are, we are the United States of America. We are states united. We are not just a country that has territories. We actually came from the states to forming the government, the colonies forming into states to form the government. And that really started to happen with the Declaration of Independence. And then, of course, the Constitution. And once the Constitution was ratified, and then all the laws throughout time um, that we felt on a federal level that needed to be our overarching, to get a law of the land like an amendment, it really requires quite a feat in Congress. And we're going to talk about that now. Um, but before we do that, I want to still stick with the Constitution when they were forming the government. The Constitution um, outlines that there will be three branches of government. But what kind of government did they want? Because there were so many different kinds of government. And they were coming from a point of democracy. But at the same time, because the states 
have their overarching rule and the states are really the law of the land for the people in the day-to-day lives, they wanted to make sure that this is all having a balance of government. So the three branches were created to create checks and balances. So not one part, one branch of that government can overtake the country. So that is the whole point of having these three branches of government. So it was really built to protect us and to protect the state's rights. When they were having this discussion on what they want to build and how they want to be, when they got to the three branches of government, which is the executive branch, which is the president and the vice president and the cabinet, And again, you can go to my website and you can click on the links of the overarching federal government uh, websites to really see and read more about it. Um, So the executive is the vice president, the the president, the vice president and the cabinet, which leads things like Department of Education, Department of the Interior, um, Department of Transportation, overarching. Every state has their own Department of Transportation or Department of Education. So again, it replicates through the states. Then you've got the legislative. The legislative is the Congress. The Congress is split into two bodies, the House of Representatives and the Senate. Now, every state also follows that model. That is called a bisumerial structure, as opposed to a unisumerial structure. And again, on the website, you'll be able to click and see what bisumerialism versus unisumerialism is. But basically what it is, it's the balance of two houses in the legislative branch instead of one house, meaning all the people just vote for these bills and laws in one chamber. The only state that has a unisumerial legislative branch is Nebraska. They used to have two chambers and then they merged them into one. So they are unisumerial in Nebraska under the legislative branch. They still have the executive and legislative and judicial, um, but they are very different. And it changed in 1936. And Then there's the third branch of government, which is the judicial, which is the courts at the federal and state level. There's, it's the whole court system. The Supreme Court is the main, the biggest court in the land, which again, on the website, you'll be able to find links to the court system uh, on my website. So every state replicates the same structure, three branches of government. Again, for checks and balances, executive, legislative, and judicial. And it's at the federal level and at the state level. So now that we've gotten to a point where, okay, we're bisumerial for the most part, except for Nebraska and only in the legislative section of their government. Then there was the, are we a democracy? Are we a federal, uh, a federacy? Um, are we a confederation? We used to be a confederation of colonies. And when we moved 
you know, through the process of setting up our government, they settled on a constitution. And we are a federation, and we are a representative democracy. And again, you'll be able to go to links of what that means on the website. So a representative democracy means that we choose representatives that vote, that we don't vote directly. Now, there are some bills at the state level, especially where we vote and it's, it's the winner takes all. That is a democracy. It's really the popular vote, the total, total population. We vote for something and it's either yay or nay. So it's very cut and dry. However, that's not how we are set up as a nation. We are a representative democracy, which means we choose the representatives that will do the voting on all of this important legislation. So it's important to understand that. Um, a lot of people are confused that, no, we're a democracy. Well, we, we do practice democratic values throughout our system. Voting allows us to participate, but we're voting for representatives that vote for us. So it's very important who you vote in. You don't want to vote in someone that is really divisive. You don't want to vote in somebody that has, doesn't have a hasn't had a background check and that is, you know, um, you want to make sure their values are of decent values to be representing a district of people. It's very important to understand who you're voting for. It's very common that when someone looks at their ballot, when they sit down to vote, that they're like, well, I'm a Democrat, so I'm just going to go for that. And, oh, that, that sounds good. Or, or just vote for the incumbent. I don't really know much about that district or, or what that person does. But since they're my party, I'll vote that way. A lot of people do it. I've been, I've done it. Um, everybody's done it. And because it takes a lot of time to kind of do the research on these people. First of all, most of the states provide a pamphlet with the ballot that gives you an overview. It's never enough. Never enough. So please do the research on who you're voting for and why you're voting for them. It is important part of the process. So when we finalized our structure, we became really a federal constitutional republic. That's who we are as America. We are not a democracy. We have democratic values in our republic, in the way that we participate, because this country is run for the people, by the people, which means we are the ones in control. And the more we take that control and take it seriously, the more chance we have for change. Okay, so now that we've sort of understand how the framework is, the three branches of government and what kind of government we are, it's important to also state that the we, it is a democracy, the what we practice here in America, because we vote and the winner of our collective vote by the people, the population, takes the seat. 
So it is still a democracy. It's just the way that it's practiced throughout the different stages of our elections and what we're voting for and which chamber and which length of time and things like that. Uh, so we are practicing democracy. And that's why people are saying, you know, we're out there fight, fighting for democracy because democracy is our value as a nation. So um, now looking at that, the breaking into, let's focus on the legislative um, branch of government. So these, the House and the Senate. So the history is interesting of how they allocate the representatives from the states to the states. In, in if you look at the calculation, it's very complex math, how they, um, they create it. And, but all of the formulas and calculations are there on the website. You can go there and check it out. But basically, this is, this is how this works. So the Senate, no matter what, every state gets two representatives. So that's a given. And that counts towards the total uh, number of votes, meaning the Senate and the House, those two numbers combined give you the total electoral college, which we're going to talk about. Um, so the Senate is automatically two per state. The House, however, is broken out into congressional districts, which we're, all gonna, we're also going to talk about. And those number of seats were capped to 435 in the House in 1929, because when the Constitution was first written, every uh, 30,000 people in the population had a representative. But as the country grew in population, um, so did the number of representatives. So they capped it in 1929 to 435 total. But when Alaska and Hawaii joined, because they were the last two states to join the union in 1959, um, they raised the 435 to 437 for just a period of time. I think it was until 1963 that they had these extra seats and then they uh, recalculated back to 435. So there's 435 houses, house seats. And how that is calculated by state and then within the state is very interesting. So I think for the Census Bureau, which is in the Constitution every 10 years to do a census, every 10 years to do a census. So the census is important. And a lot of people think, oh, the census or, you know, they're spying on me or they need the data. Well, they do need the data because they need to know how, how many people and how many votes. And there's a lot of debate on, you know, is it all the people that are illegal or not illegal? And we're going to talk about immigration down the line. Um, however, it's very important to know how many people because the representation matters in a representative democracy. So this is done every 10 years and then the calculation per state is then given. Then the state breaks those out into congressional 
districts. So that calculation on then how the states are to calculate it is called apportionment. There was an act passed called the Permanent Apportionment Act of 1929 that basically you can read on the website as well. And it, w- it talks about the capping of the house at 435. So once the state and then the states have to calculate based on a priority value and a, um, the population and so forth. But they're all guaranteed one seat. So the Senate is guaranteed two seats and the House is guaranteed one seat no matter what. And then the calculations begin and you can look up all the calculations that it's on the website there's a link to it if you're really into it um the math part i mean i i like the math but then again um not everybody does so once you understand that then you can start to see and on your state sites you'll be able to see your congressional district maps on my website i have the map of the whole United States broken out into congressional districts that are for the 2024 election. So each person lives in a congressional district and then they have their own election. And elections and election rules and and laws and all of that and voting and all that we're going to go into in future podcasts for sure. This is a big topic uh, that that I think that we should talk about. Okay, so they do redistricting of the congressional districts um, with the census, of course. But then the way that the process for drawing these districts, when you inject politics into the the redistricting process is something known as gerrymandering, which both sides do. Both sides complain about it. Everybody knows that it's happening. And it really is not okay, the way that it goes down. Because, of course, one political party is trying to capture a certain portion of the population that they know that they could win. So when you're drawing the maps and then you're running in, you know, running in that district, uh, it's, it's something that really we need to somehow stop that nonsense. It really needs to be districts based on populations, um, more like squares than it, some of these, <laughs> some of these, uh, lines on districts are quite strange. You should look it up on your on the website. You can go to your state and have a look at your districts. Have a look at how these decisions are made. Understand, maybe get involved in the process if you don't like it. Um, that is how we make change is really first understanding what it is and how to approach it. All right, so th- why are these congressional districts so important? Every single district represents a House seat in the Congress. So that is the importance of understanding the districts and how the, how the, ele- uh, the electoral college, which we're now going to talk about, 
the Electoral College was put in place initially because they weren't 100% sure that the average person could really vote for the president. And the Electoral College is only put in place as a separate body that are, that are nominated as the elector, the le, they're called electors, a slate of electors. So what happens is it used to be where the, they, they would just put forward a slate of electors and that was the, they would actually vote for the population. They always really followed the popular vote. It was just one step in, in the process that basically over time it has changed to be you have to follow the popular vote. It's not a law, however. And politics does come into this too, and that came in later uh, as well, that how this works is with each candidate for president, and it really is the, the president and vice president, that each political party that was in that state, so let's say you have just the Democrats and the Republicans, each party puts forward a slate of electors, the number of people that they get in terms of votes. So let's say a state like Nebraska has five um, electoral college votes. Well, then each party puts forward a slate of five electors and probably they have, you know, substitutes in case of some, you know, some, where they can't actually participate in the vote. Where they both put their list of electors up. So whoever wins that state, so if it's the Democrat, then it's the Democrat's slate of electors that are the ones that are going to vote in December. We vote in December, they vote. We vote in November, they vote in December. And even though we call it on the night or, you know, soon after, and that's a whole different discussion that we're not going to get into here. Um, that's how the Electoral College is set up, is they vote in December for the president following the popular vote. And there are a lot of states that have different rules on how this all works. So again, your state site is really crucial to understand it. But basically, the total number of electoral votes in the state are the total number of representatives you have in Congress, meaning the total representatives that you have in the House plus the Senate, those two added together are the number that of electoral votes that your state gets on election night when they say, you know, California 54, I think it is. Um, that is where that's coming from. It's the number of representatives in both chambers that gives you the number of electoral votes that your state gets. And all the states is usually a winner takes all. So whoever wins the popular vote, which again, democracy. Whoever wins the popular vote then gets the set number of electors. And the set number of electors are the number of congressional districts plus senators. 
that is how it's set up. There's only two states that uh, split their electors in their state, and that's Nebraska and Maine. So two, but in both states, two electoral votes go to the winner of the state, and the rest are one per district, depending on who won that district. So that is how they calculated it in Nebraska and Maine. That is really the setup of our government, how the founding documents drove the setup of our government, how the calculations work, how we, the population, are counted in the process, how we participate in the process. It's very important for us to all understand it. And I try really hard to, because I had to go through this process to because I needed to learn it. I really didn't know a lot about how the Electoral College worked. And so I found it fascinating to learn it. And then the more that I realized that a lot of people don't know, so we should all know because that is how we participate. That's what makes this country uh, for the people, by the people, is because we completely control who sits in those seats to make the decisions that we either like or don't like. And a lot of people need to, more people need to participate, but not just by participating and checking boxes on the ballot. That is really important that we even have the level of participation on that level. But I think that the more that we understand that we can educate ourselves without too much effort, if we just paid attention to the things that were really important and who those people are, there are lots of websites where you can really find out how one of these senators or one of these Congress people that you're sending to Washington, um, how they voted in the past on certain issues. They may absolutely not align with what you agree with or what you want. And it's okay to agree with something that is a little bit controversial because that's what makes these conversations really great. And these are how the compromises are drawn to ensure that everybody is represented, that everybody is heard in the process. If people stop talking, then we stop developing what's needed for all. So we all are hurt by things not moving forward. Whether it's stalled because of one way or another, to have it stalled is a problem because a lot of these things are usually really important. So I think that the more we understand about how we part we can participate more easily but more informed choices. And we all can learn every day. I learn things every day. And the, doing this podcast is kind of become a passion because it allows me to really understand it more and more and more and put the pieces together on what I can do, what I can participate in. And that's what really meeting me in the middle is all about, is coming together to talk about the hard issues, but understanding where we're coming from and why it's set up this way. I think when we understand that the way that it was set up and the, it was so th carefully thought through, it really was built to protect us. But 
because of the way that it's actually been managed or the fact that we've taken our eye off the ball because it's like our we have to manage it if it's ours if we're responsible and we're in charge then we do have to participate in understanding how we can make things better i feel that it empowers us and makes us feel like we really do have a voice because it really is driven from our voices from our vo- votes and um anyway that is going to conclude this episode i really thank you for being here like share um don't forget to go on the website findunityinthemiddle.com and check out all the documents check out all the links uh get to know your state the more we know the more we grow <laughs> i kind of like that even though it's a little cheesy Anyway, uh, thank you so much for being here and thank you for listening and I look forward to the next episode.